you've taken away three of the most successful parts of fundraising. One, face-to-face. -face. Two, if you can't do face-to-face, -face, the second most powerful way to fundraise is a small gathering. Okay, that's gone. All right, so the third is I'm going to bring you to a big event. Okay, that's gone. So your three strikes, you're already down in fundraising. Uh, if mail appeal was the best way of fundraising, believe me, we wouldn't have all these professionals. If it was phone calls, we would hire phone callers. It's all about that personal interaction. And three of those top ways of doing it is gone. And you're using this virtual way. And so you have to use it properly. And uh, uh, it becomes difficult, but it becomes something of a challenge that we're taking advantage of. Breaking news tonight, the coronavirus forcing millions more Americans into virtual lockdown. Our country wasn't built to be shut down. This is not a country that was built for this. It was not built to be shut down. America will again and soon be open for business. Uh, very soon. A lot sooner than uh, three or four months. It's There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of, you know, wondering if you're risking your life by going to work. Hi, it's Josh. Before we get started with this episode, I just want to encourage everyone listening to subscribe in your podcast app. And if you like this episode in the end, please leave a review and share it with a friend. I'm really excited about this episode with Russell Robinson. I am actually on the JNF Future board in Chicago and I'm involved with JNF, which we'll hear during the podcast. And feel really lucky to be in, able to interview the CEO of an organization that I'm involved in and care so much about. I hope you enjoyed the episode today, and please subscribe. In 1998, Russell F. Robinson became the youngest CEO in Jewish National Fund USA's history. He works tirelessly traveling around the U.S. and Israel to meet with JNF USA's partners and affiliates to ensure JNF USA's vision and philanthropic investment is more relevant and meaningful today than ever before, particularly among its growing 22 to 40 year old JNF Future Leadership Division. Today, almost 120 years after it was founded, JNF USA is unparalleled in the Jewish philanthropic world. JNF USA's strategic vision has been and always will be to ensure a strong, secure, and prosperous future for the land and people of Israel. Everything JNF USA does, Every project initiative and campaign is integral to the organization's vision of building and connecting to Israel. JNF USA plants trees, builds houses and parks, sources water solutions, buys fire trucks, and improves the lives of people with special needs. In addition, JNF USA works to boost tourism, support Aliyah, promote Zionist education and engagement, build medical centers and trauma centers, fund agricultural and culinary research, and run a high school semester study abroad program in Israel. Robinson has succeeded in making JNF USA one of the top-rated charities in the United States and the leading organizations for the land and people of Israel. He has been ranked on the Jerusalem Post list of the world's 50th most influential Jews and oversees the organization's groundbreaking $1 billion roadmap for the next decade. Robinson has been featured in best-selling management books and regularly appears on TV, radio, and in print media. A sixth-generation American Jew, Robinson grew up in El Paso, Texas. His family first laid down its American roots in Petersburg, Virginia, after emigrating from Alsace-Lorraine in the late 1700s. Well, thank you, Russell, for being here. Let's kind of get started. Tell me, how did you come to lead the Jewish National Fund and, and what happened since then to 
2020 this year. So I came to the Jewish National Fund 21 years ago. I was uh, I come to nonprofit work from private industry. I came into nonprofit work, and 21 years ago, I was going back into the private sector. I felt uh, that I wasn't making the differences in where I was uh, that I wanted to be making. Uh, a person named Ronald Lauder from SD Lauder was leading the Jewish National Fund. He called me. I had not applied for the job, but when I met him, I met a billionaire who wanted to be part of the organized world. Now, I believe that philanthropy, the greatest thing that you have going for you is not just the work that you do. It's how do you bring people along with you? And Ronald Lauder had his own foundation and he was giving millions and millions of dollars away. And, and Josh, you don't have to ask too many questions. You have a board who's really going to listen to you. We're going to go this way, that way. The answer is yes, sir. And here was, was Ronald Lauder willing to put himself on the line to be voted down on issues with people that literally he could have bought people around the board. You know, he had, he had uh, uh, properties more expensive than they were giving to the organization. But that leadership excited me. The work that the Jewish National Fund was doing excited me. And I joined up with him 21 years ago and I found that what I thought philanthropy was, was true. It was bringing people along. He was able to bring people along. It takes nothing away from people doing their own work. But if you really want to make a difference in philanthropy, you really want to make a difference in the world, join the Red Cross Heart Association, Jewish National Fund, join and be part of that organized world so people can say, hey, I want to be part of Ronald Lauder. I want to be part of Jewish National Fund. People want to follow people. In this world, we're always looking for those leaders and, 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 and we're always short of them. And so if you can be part of the organized philanthropic world, I came here 21 years ago. It was an organization that was MONPA. Um, it had done a lot of great work. It hadn't really got itself into technology and into the advancement. And that happens in nonprofits. You don't invest enough into it and you don't think... And I come, Josh, from the philosophy that um, uh, nonprofit is a tax status, not a philosophy. You know, you don't have to try to lose money. You know, you got it could be a business, it could be a family business, but there's a business acumen to it. And and my leadership joined me on that, and we were able to transform the organization from a small mom pa that had done great work over its hundred years at that time. Uh, but to an organization that is raising a billion dollars on a campaign and and great vision and has been driven with thousands and hundreds of thousands of donors. And even now, and I'll talk about it if, as you want, is during this pandemic and during this quarantine, because we had set ourselves up as a business, we were able to enter this phase uncharted territory, but in a business way and been able to really move forward even during these past five months yeah so t tell me what let's go back to march and what was it like to move in like move in this phase um for jnf what did that mean for you and for jnf so we had without knowing that this was happening we had set up for it to happen we had uh 10 years before that josh taken all of our offices. We had 47 different offices around the United States. Everyone had an administrative assistant. Some had their own event people. Uh, people were answering. We, had, we do a, a program of ordering trees online. Everybody had their own tree operator. 
And we took that away from the local community, even the offices. Uh, and people were working out of the WeWorks or Regis or if there was enough people that rented small offices or home and remote. And we set up four uh, administrative centers. So in Denver, Colorado, when they were having an event with 1,700 people, not one invitation went out from Denver, not one invitation came back to Denver. It came to uh, an office in Van Nuys, California. The name badges, the event person, the administration work, everything was being done out of there. When you showed up to that event in Denver, you felt the local presence. You felt it was a Jewish National Fund event, but it looked the same as the Chicago event or Peoria or in Florida. So we took that, that administrative centers. That means we were working remotely already in a very robust database that people had access to and people were working out of the system. So when March happened, um, we were able to flip a switch and be working remotely first because most of our operation was, and even our centers of excellence were able to go and work from home uh, remotely. We put together our own town hall Zoom calls with our staff every single week. We informed our donors in a long, lengthy letter what we were doing with our staff, for our staff, and then we started getting our volunteers and our staff, and they made over 10,000 phone calls to our to our donors, 10,000, and marked down in our database. And there were wellness calls, Josh, not asking for anything. How are you doing? Let's explain what we're doing. We weren't in a paralysis situation. We wanted to get out there. We got out in social media. We were putting our Zoom calls together where people were coming, thousands of people joining up on our Zoom calls, and, and we were fundraising. We were then talking to people about money. We felt our cause was important the day before, and if it was important, then it's important today and beyond. And yes, you had to take an understanding of what was happening out there, but you also had to understand that we were important for what we were doing and our affiliates that we were working with in Israel, we were pulling them together. They were making phone calls. We were really utilizing the family in a great way. And I will tell you during this time, our campaign has kept moving and I you know, just announced to, to our staff that we had 704 million of our billion dollar campaign. And we're looking at 2021, 2022 and beyond. And we're gonna make those strategic pivots. And we set up a plan called Pivot for, Pro, for uh, Progress and uh, uh, Prosper, Pivot for Prosper, uh, that we're looking at how to make 2021 successful and to keep that success moving beyond. Yeah, that's great. I did. I saw the letter about the the seventy percent of the billion dollar campaign. That's great. Um, tell me about some of the challenges. So you have the, the you have the staff all over the country, and they're in the centralized offices, and so people are used to working together and working apart. Uh, that's comfortable. Tell me some of the challenges that you have with maybe some of the programs that are going. One thing that comes to mind maybe the the Alexander Moss High School in Israel. This was something I was following really closely um, about you have these stu American students in Israel that need to come home. So we had, uh, we have a high school in Israel, it's an American high school in Israel, it's a semester abroad experience for high school kids. Uh, and we had 177 of them in Israel, uh, excuse me, 239 of them in Israel at the time. And uh, when this uh, pandemic hit and you know, we, Israel went on a lockdown as well. And so it wasn't uh, a choice that we had, and, and uh, we had to bring the kids home. Now, remember, we were bringing the kids home on different flights that were coming back. Some were coming back in a month from then, two months from then. So 
we were on different airlines, different flights, and everybody was making those phone calls to those airlines, and, and the airlines were having all of the issues. And because of our um, financial wherewithal, because we were able to be strategic and thoughtful, so we were able to make a decision with our lay leaders, and we took a half a million dollars from our endowment fund and utilized it immediately to charter a flight to bring our kids home. The safety of the children was the most important part of our of our job. And they all came back, and believe me, we had to get them from you know, uh, Newark Airport to um, Los Angeles to Philadelphia, you know, so all across the country, we managed it. It was like a 24-hour uh, uh, operation. But I will tell you, Josh, when you, when you do things in the right way, a lot of the parents, a lot of the majority of them, made a contribution back to us to repay us for those flights. Now, that means they had paid that tens of thousands of dollars for that semester abroad anyway, and their kids are going back. And we had to provide some of the academic school to the kids on Zoom and, and programming. But the parents realized how well we did it. And many of them, the letters that they came in, we had a couple of parents that went on TV and radio just to talk about us and the contributions they made. So if you do things in, in, in fiscally responsible ways and you do things for safety, we're able to do. But I'm proud to say, Look at we're gonna tell you until the day it happens, I'll tell you, but Israel right now as we're looking that our first semester of uh, in September, we're, we have a sellout group going to our semester abroad experience. Not one has dropped out. We have 30 kids on a wait list and we're planning this September to have our kids going back to Israel. We have a college program, a gap year that we never had before. We only had 25 slots. I Today I received we started it not even a month ago. We're at 22 kids that have already signed up, and, and, and we're just a matter of going through all the applications. So we're connecting to what our, our pieces. With our affiliates in Israel, we were on the phone with them. Remember, we don't know what our financial situation is. Their financial situation is dependent upon us. So we had them working with us also. How do you cut down? How do you plan cash flow? And what is the programs that, that have to happen? So we got our affiliates working together. All of them are separate organizations, but they come, Josh, and work together. We had one group that showed up to farmland in Israel. That's part of another group that we have. These are farmers that were selling produce to Europe. So now there's no produce going to Europe. They came with volunteer teenagers, picked the produce. They then with volunteers, we had bring trucks to another group who then packed it. And then another group who delivered it to elderly and Holocaust survivors. This all happens organically because when you're working together, people come together. And we have another group that helps people with special needs. Now remember, if you have a child with special needs at your home, Josh, you're having homeschooling with the kids. The, the child with special needs is usually going to a special needs school, has other programming, has programming that is outside. You know, there's there's special programming that you have. And you know what? A lot of times that gets lost. We didn't. We got oh, this one organization, we've raised money for these iPads that were delivered. A lot of families, they didn't have the extra iPads for their kids, delivered it to them so that they had special programming at home for children of special needs. We have a, a place for people with mental disabilities, a residence in the Negev. 
Now, that means we have to depend on those nurses and staff to show up every day. It's not a question. These are not people that can, they, they can't be left alone for an hour or a minute. And every day they kept showing up. And even when one came down with corona, the Israeli army came in, in hours, evacuated the place. We had it completely sterilized, brought back the residents, and all of the workers came back. And matter of fact, they did a special Macarena dance and posted it on, on social media as a thank you to our donors, to our partners here at the Jew, at Jewish National Fund, to say thank you for being there with them. Now, that is where it's all about one and you come together. And for the staff, it's been also something that we have to communicate. We have weekly town halls. We have water cooler sections on our chatter, on our Salesforce chatter. We're getting the staff to talk to each other. Even staff from one end of the country. So we did the called the Robinson Challenge. Call somebody you don't know, you don't know well, interview them. And people were coming on and posting and then saying, wow, I didn't know their child was going to this university and mine's going next year. And so sometimes you don't take, we took the opportunity to take a breath. That's what we're in. It's a terrible situation. It's unchartered. If you got to take the breath, make the most of it. And what we have done is really brought our staff closer together, even though they're, uh, you know, further apart. Tell me, what is it like to fundraise now? What's it like to fundraise during a pandemic? And you've been you've been around for 21 years too, and so you've seen financial crisis. You've seen you live in New York. You experience also like 9/11 uh, and tragedy there too. Like, does this feel similar or different to what's happened in the past? So you know, you had 9/11. You have 2000. You know, 2008, the the financial uh, uh, mess. You have a lot of different times that you've. You've had this. The, the difference between now and then is I think people who care and are charitable are caring and charitable. And you, so you to, our fundraising has been uh, an extraordinary. Uh, and I give it to all of our professionals and volunteers out there uh, who have been contributing. By the way, our professional staff themselves during the middle of all this, not being sure what tomorrow will bring, they raised over $290,000 amongst themselves and gave it to Jewish National Fund. So it's everybody who came all hands on, on deck on it. You have to be able to have those relationships to be able to ask people to contribute, and you got to believe in your cause and your mission. The difference between now, Josh, and all those others is the length and the uncertainty. You know, 9-11, you didn't know the length and you didn't know the uncertainty, but yeah, you, you, you had, you didn't, you, you know, the week or two later or three weeks later, you realized, you know, there was going to be something. Uh, in 2008, you woke up and, you know, you had places that were out of business and banks out of business that you couldn't even dream of. So we've always been faced with adversity, but adversity is, is really when people have to come together and organizations have that opportunity to bring people together, but you can't be fearful of it. And you, yes, there's some realities. Listen, our fastest growing part of our donor demographic, Josh, is our 22 to 40 year olds. It's called JNF Future. And we're very proud that over the past 10 years, growing every year by thousands of donors is our 22 to 40 year olds. Now, they're facing a lot of uncertainties as well. And a lot of them have lost jobs. A lot of them have had relocation. It's a, it's a different world for them. Some of us have had experiences. And so, you know, maybe we're taking it uh, a little bit different. 
But I have to tell you, our Jana Futures has been coming together on events. On They have a virtual Shabbat that they've been holding once a month. And, and hundreds and hundreds of them coming out for 15 minutes to share stories with each other. So what organizations also give you is an opportunity to build a community that, that you know, it's beyond just the community of the neighborhood. And young people especially are never, you know, this is a world that is not about your where you grew up. It's where you live. And even if you grew up in Chicago, you you may not, you're not going to live in the same neighborhood as your, your parents lived in. Um, so what is a community? And a community, especially for young people, is that, you know, it's that WhatsApp and, and it's all these things. You know, your community is is wherever it is. And we're trying to answer that call to them and bring that community into them and uh, them into us and communicate. So fundraising, I believe, it, yes, it's more difficult. You've taken away three of the most successful parts of fundraising. One, face-to-face. Two, if you can't do face-to-face, the second most powerful way to fundraise is a small gathering. Okay, that's gone. All right, so the third is I'm going to bring you to a big event. Okay, that's gone. So your three strikes, you're already down in fundraising. Uh, If mail appeal was the best way of fundraising, believe me, we wouldn't have all these professionals. If it was phone calls, we would hire phone callers. It's all about that personal interaction. And three of those top ways of doing it is gone. And you're using this virtual way. And so you have to use it properly. And uh, uh, it becomes difficult, but it becomes something of a challenge that we're taking advantage of. One of the things I noticed there was the, recently the spectacular Sunday. So this is when you talk about the three shots kind of thing. This is this seems to be a little bit of a different shot. Can you tell us about the spectacular Sunday? So thanks. So we in the you know all of a sudden we are going March, April, May. Now we're three months into this uh, uh, you know situation. We're not knowing when when tomorrow is, and we needed a little bit of a um, we all felt a little bit of a boost, you know, because I think it was like halftime. You know, so you need that halftime moment, you know, where the coach is going to give you that 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 speech. Um, so our halftime moment, we decided to do an event that we had never done before called the Spectacular Sunday. It was a Sunday uh, in, in June. And we held a four-hour online uh, telethon. We had our thousands, thousands of lay leaders, volunteers were doing uh, making phone calls and doing peer-to-peer fundraising. Our professionals were as well. And between peer-to-peer and phone calling and a four-hour telethon, uh, you know, we raised over $2 million. Uh, from. Uh, remember, this was not from our donor base, so to speak. It was not from, you know, our, our $10,000 donors. This was from $25 donors or zero donors. So they're significant, but thousands of tens of thousands of new donations that came in. And it was an unbelievable success. It was four hours, and I think it was over 65,000 people viewed our show. I, I did see it, and I made some calls, too. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about so much, and I know is a big shift, and just in general, we kind of talked about people aren't traveling and events aren't happening. But one of the things that's not happening now at this moment and I guess you did mention before that the the high school in Israel will be happening, but traveling to Israel. And I know, I mean, I don't know how many times you've been to Israel. I could imagine it's a lot. And also that you're, you're going with your donors to Israel often and uh, just traveling also just in the U S like, what has it been like to not be traveling personally and professionally? 
So personally, first off, I worked for the first months out of my basement in Livingston, New Jersey. So uh, it was a nice basement, but it still wasn't uh, an office. I've been in the office now for three weeks. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the convenience of a real telephone and the convenience of a, of a printer, you, you, you sometimes these little things that you never even thought about, you know, are, are there and, and given to you. We, listen, we, our product is in Israel. So we also uh, thought about, you know, how are we going to get people together and how are we going to get the Israel? So we started a program, and I'll give a shout out to our president, Saul Lieserbrand, and his wife, Lauren, came up. So why don't we take a virtual mission to Israel, a virtual trip to Israel? So we started talking about what would that mean? Well, we'd have to get a tour guide, and they'd have to show, you know, pictures and take you on a tour. So we'll do that for like an hour. But one of the great things about traveling on a group is that you also get to talk to each other. So why don't we do a two hour a day, five day trip to Israel, Monday through Friday. And you only can bring 25, uh, you know, squares on your Zoom call. No more. You could have more people at home watching that one square, but no more than 25 squares are sold. Why don't we charge, and the money will go to the tour guide in Israel. Now, remember also, for a tour guide who's doing a, a, a trip from the West Coast, it's 3 o'clock in the morning their time because they're live. So now we had to find the tour guide. We had to train the tour guide. How are you going to be exciting for one hour on a Zoom call showing pictures? So you got to show a photograph of, of, of an archaeological dig, and you're, you're almost saying, Wow, and look to your right of that picture, and, and there is a, a, you know, a, a stone. And, you know, so it's one thing to do it live. It's another, now you're doing it on a picture. So how is that going to go over? So we tried one. 3,800 people later, Josh, we have signed up for our virtual missions. We are sold out for weeks. If people want to go, they can go to jnf.org. Uh, uh, slash travel, and they can uh, sign up if you want to take. We've had now families who have come to us, and we set it up for them, um, uh, a, a family trip on the bus. So we've had families, okay, you know what? I want to buy a bus. So it's $12.50 for, to buy a whole bus. We provide you with the staff and 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 the tour guide and, and, and the time, and they've invited their whole family or friends to their own bus. And so we've been doing those, 3,800 people. And the most amazing thing is the hour afterwards. And so some decide, okay, let's take a break for an hour, then come back to an hour. Let's take 15-minute break. Some don't break. And some people said to us, okay, I understand the tour for the hour. What about this hour break? You know, what about this hour come? Nobody's going to join. I join almost every week. And Sali's around my president. Everybody, we join and we call Zoom Bomb. We get on one of the calls, you know, mm -hmm. after the tour guide. It's amazing. The hour is almost as exciting as the first hour because they're starting to talk about things. And people who have been to Israel a thousand times, myself, I was with one of the tour guides and, and she was taking, uh, um, uh, showing photos of a boat ride on the Dead Sea. I've never been on a boat on the Dead Sea. And I'll, I, all of a sudden I'm finding myself watching this entire hour as if I was there. And that's the feedback we're getting. And we're going to be running those for, for the next years, I believe, ahead. Uh, we got seniors who are, who are doing it. We have young people doing our Jaina future. And at different times, you know, it's all, now it used to be very good to do it at 4 o'clock. Now people don't want to do it at 4. They want to do it at 8. And, and we're really 
doing those kind of things. We started a thing called the Mitzvah Market, like a QVC show. Uh, and again, you can go on jnf.org uh, uh, forward slash shopping. And we took our small businesses that were selling from cosmetics to glassware to wine, and we made a Mitzvah Market, an online marketplace where hundreds, you know, thousands of orders have come in. Uh, for people who want to place orders. So if you want to place an order for the holidays, you want to put, just buy wine, you want to buy glassware or jewelry or cosmetics, why not help out a small business that is looking to help who never could have done this before? And so we've tried to be innovative and capture the market and, and capture the imagination of people. And, and what we have found is that people want to be together, they want to learn, and they want to be part of the organization. What do you think has been the greatest challenge of this time since March? The greatest challenge is um, keeping people positive. Uh, and, and I think that that's a leader's job, being a leader as the CEO of the organization, a leader as a manager, a leader as a, as a volunteer. Um, the majority of the world, Josh, is followers. That's just the reality. And... You know, that's why people go to Superman movies and the Avenger movies. We all want to dream. We all want a vision. We all want to have that. And so your biggest challenge is that you have to keep giving a greater vision. You've got to give people a horizon. This is a, a very difficult time. It's uncharted. None of us have experienced this in our lifetime. And it's not going to go away tomorrow. Um, but it takes leadership to say what we're doing is important. And it takes leadership to keep people focused. They're all gonna have their issues. We've had obviously people that we've known who passed away, people who've been sick. Um, we've had the, the uh, um, issues of our society. And all of that are, is reality in people's lives and you have to recognize it as their reality. Recognize it as our reality. But people want to be around the positiveness of people making change. And they may get tired of Russell Robinson smiling too much or uh, using too many uh, positive slogans. I say let them be tired. I don't think people get tired of doing that. And I think I use my sports analogy. The greatest professional who gets paid a lot of money, works out every day, practices, 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 they have a coach. They have somebody sitting there saying, yeah, you could do it. Now, they, of course they could do it. And usually the person telling them, yeah, they could do it is a person who can't do it anymore or couldn't do it. But you need that person to say, yeah, you could do it. So I think that that's part of the responsibilities of leadership that's never fun because you always got to be up. But it's important to be there and to listen and to understand that uh, people's concerns and people's fears are, are real and listen to them and understand it, but still talk about your company or your organization moving forward. What would you tell yourself if you could go back to January, 2020, go back to the new year, coming back into the office? If you, if you, if you walked into your own office and talked to yourself, what, what would you tell yourself? Before this whole thing or yeah. after? In January, in January. Yeah, if you would go back to January, 2020. Listen, I, I think that you always, as a, a head of a company or organization, are always um, thinking about what are the issues that are going to be facing you. Um, 
you know, you try to prepare. So you prepare for a cyber attack, you know, and you say, okay, somebody's going to try to get in and, and what happens if they get in and get to all of our credit cards, okay? You know, so, you know, you spend millions of dollars protecting all of your your information. So you think, okay, well, you're going to suffer this. What happens if if this happens? You know, and you have all these kind of issues happening uh, that you try to make plans for. In January, if somebody would have even written a fictional book about this past five months, I don't think that it would have sold a copy. Um, so I think that what I'm going to say to myself today and tomorrow is that you can plan. There's going to be issues. What you have to have is a great team around you. What you have to have is a great belief system in your team and in your people and, and trust that you have done everything that you can, but there's no way that you can prepare for everything. Don't stress yourself out with that. Stress yourself out with making sure that all the people around you are as good as they could be and positive. You know, and Josh, I I just believe this. You don't have to love everybody who you work with, okay? You don't have to go have a beer or a cup of coffee with them and, and socialize with them. But you have to respect them and you have to like them. And if you're the kind of person that can't respect other people and doesn't like other people and, and is negative, you have no room around our organization because it just doesn't bode well. Um, there's, you spend too much waking hours with your colleagues. And it's not fair to have those negative uh, people. So we, uh, I think that those are the, the things I would tell myself in January. I'm going to tell myself every day. One of the things you said before is about being positive and uh, coaching. And in general, I think one of the things that I could describe that is like inspiring people, leading people in general. Um, who do you look to now that directly or indirectly is inspiring you during this time? So... I look at in, in the past, I look at, uh, you know, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's always been my, my father. Um, my, my mother and my father both, but my father in the business world, he, he didn't have much, but he always believed that uh, uh, he, he was always drilling the head that uh, the, your only competition is yourself, make yourself better. Uh, he uh, always would say, you know, listen, if you start your day, Believing that it's going to be bad, you could be guaranteed it will be, and uh, uh, and and he was always that you know he he played the bass drum in a in a drum and bugle corps group, and he was one time in a newspaper they called him the happy drummer because no matter when they took a picture, he always had a smile even though he was sweating carrying that drum, and I still look at those lessons learned um, that. You know, he had a lot of adversity and a lot of, uh, didn't have much, but, you know, whatever we had and he had, he always felt it was the greatest thing in the world. So I still get inspiration every single day from that. And I get inspiration from young people. I, I, I believe this. I love talking to our young people, our Jaina future. I love talking to high school kids that come back. I, I get, Josh, people like you, you are, you are so much brighter you have so much more going for you than my generation ever had. Um, you know, we could all talk about, well, is it, is it, what about Instagram and what about instant this and what about that they're always on their phone? You know what? You're taking pictures of more things than we ever would take pictures of. That means that there's a memory index in your mind that we don't have. That means that there's a, you're reading more and you're more knowledgeable. 
And so I love getting together and talking with our young people because they're really about tomorrow. And if you listen to them, if you listen to them and, and you follow, you could learn so much from them. Uh, I think more than they can learn from us in a lot of ways. What's one piece of advice that you'd give to other business leaders now? That you have to really look at your team. Uh, the team around you both, uh, you know, if it's an organization on your, on, your, on your volunteer base as well as your professional base. You know, I have been accused many times, sometimes I micromanage on certain issues, partly because I happen to love dealing in, 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 in so many different little things at times. And then I get accused about being too much in vision and not understanding this implementation. Um, what I hope I, I do is, is, and the advice I give is that you have to have a great team. You got to believe in your team and you have to put on their shoulders that they're going to make things happen. So I will tell you, moving back into an operation after being homebound, how you bring people back. Now, remember, in a, in a big organization or company, you have um, people who certain jobs that just aren't going to be able to be done from home. So you call it inequality in that sense. You know, why is it? Then you have to make decisions about remote working. So I've always been a decentralized person. But if you make certain decisions on certain jobs for remote working, then those decisions also have a long-term effect, meaning that you may not have to hire the person in New York City and pay New York City kind of salaries. Why not in Peoria or Alabama or, you know what I'm saying, there's, there's lost cost of living. So you're making decisions as we're moving forward that are, have great implications for tomorrow. Be careful with them. Ask the right questions. Trust your people and bring them together and listen to them and realize that, yes, you got to start your company and certain things have to be done. And you got to be, sometimes it's not the popular, you know, piece. But if you listen, you'll learn and check and see what the alternatives can be. But even moving people back, and that's what I was saying, I got to tell you, my, my chief human resource officer and her staff has done an unbelievable job. My financial officer, administration officer, my chief operating officer, my chief development officer, like everybody around me, my leadership people, you know, getting the kids back from the school. You know, I had people working on Sunday. You got to imagine the charter plane and, and be able to leave in hours. Uh, I didn't know this. You know, the tickets have to be written, not by the, not by the uh, uh, airline. So you got to get a travel agency. So you got to input into the travel agency to write. The, I, I, I've learned more than I ever wanted to learn. I had people working from their home on Sunday in spreadsheets doing this who were top uh, uh, of the level professionals, but they were all chipping in. And when those kids arrived at the airport, I had more volunteers that I needed from my staff willing to go there and meet the kids. So trust your people yesterday, today, and be sure to make that for part of it tomorrow. Thank you. Um, anything that you want to leave us on or ways that we can support JNF right now or things that we should be looking out for? So you should go on. We have a JNF On Demand. It's jnf.org forward slash on demand. It's almost every day we have different kinds of uh, 
uh, calls. We have book club that's on a Sunday. You want to join our trips to Israel. Our virtual trips are going every single week. Sign up because we're selling out every day. I mean, for every week, we have a lot of educational Zoom calls. We have our YouTube page. Go on our YouTube page, and there's just all the stuff that we've done is there, and you can watch. And if you want to get involved in Jewish National Fund, go onto our site or call our our uh, uh, our office number, and we'll we'll get you involved. And it could be in all different ways of making phone calls, wellness phone calls, to fundraising calls, to uh, recruiting people, uh, to talking to kids about going to Israel, to sharing some of the work that we're doing. Uh, throughout the country, and it's the stories that we want to tell about those individuals. And uh, if you're going to, when Israel opens up, uh, make your first trip to Israel and come on a Jewish National Fund trip. Yeah, and I hope to see you hopefully at uh, 2021 National Conference. That's the, that's the plan. So I will uh, see you there, Josh, in Israel. So it's it's recorded. So uh, hold it. I'll, I'll have to show my wife and be like, look, we have we recorded it. We got to go. And more than that. A glass of great wine. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Russell, um, for doing this podcast. And we'll link to all of the JNF.org uh, in the show notes. And you can find it there. And we just want to thank Russell again. It's been a great, great pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Restarting America podcast. Make sure to subscribe in your podcast app and visit restarting-america.com for more episodes like this one. Restarting America is produced by 97Switch.